Hello there. Welcome back. <laughs> Today we will be talking about topics like the formula for coming back to health. Self-confidence. Um, I had a little tidbit to share about that that I thought was really interesting uh, during one of my deep introspections. Um, collective frequencies, interpretive dreams, violence and forms of violence, drawing a line for compassion. And I will be including one of sort of the rules that I live by. I have gone through life um, sort of coming up with this list of rules for myself from what I've learned from my experiences. And, you know, uh, these rules have this constant resounding truth to them, no matter what phase of life you're going through or how long it's been. So I will be sharing one of those rules. So um, first, of all, I want to I want to address the time gap between my last post and this one, um, my last podcast, rather, because I think this is important to talk about in itself, right? The inconsistency. I've always had kind of an issue with this. And um, I guess it's a work in progress in terms of being disciplined. But to an extent, it's not so much about that. Um, I just think that when you're a full-time single parent, it's like <laughs> essentially all it is is getting destroyed and rebuilding <laughs> and getting destroyed over again and rebuilding. It's this constant ebb and flow of, you know, up and downs. And I mean, I guess the same thing can be said about life, but I feel like you're challenged on so many levels, right? When you're, when you have these circumstances. Um, and so I just find that, you know, I've, that that's, that's the consistency that I have is, you know, <laughs> completely just shutting down for a bit because circum, you know, other things have been happening in my life and then slowly rebuilding myself. Um, and I've gotten really good at it. I've gotten really good at rebuilding myself. I think that is like a super skill that I have and it's an important one because you got to be able to get back up again. <laughs> but I wanted to share the process that I have that I always revert back to whenever, you know, I've sunken into some kind of hole, whether it's like depression, say I've been hit with some news, you know, my dad recently passed away this, this past year, right? I had a, a grieving process, a little bit of depression, a little bit of um, self-deprecating, uh, is that the right word? Self-sabotage, self-brooding, you know, I'm definitely a brooder. Like if something hits me and it throws me off, it's like I revert to this brooding space that's familiar where I'll just sort of like revel in it, you know? I'll drink more than I should and, you know, get off track with my exercise and eat poorly if I'm eating at all. And it's like this familiar space because I've been there so many times before being, you know, knocked off my rocker for lack of a better term by so many things in life. Right. So it's a familiar space for me. And sometimes when you're there and it's familiar, then you just want to stay there. And so I have had a habit in my past of becoming a bit of a brooder. Now I'm much better. I don't stay there. 
as long and I seem to have the awareness that, you know, it's going to come to an end. Um, you know, I just need to kind of go through the motions of this and let myself process whatever has happened in my life and, you know, just ride it out and it's becoming shorter and shorter. And I just know that I'm going to come out on top of it. Whereas, you know, before it was very consuming, like all consuming, right? Just like, (laughs) you know, what you'd see in a movie, right? I'm like in the bathtub, bottle of wine, some like really sad indie ambient music on crying and feeling sorry for myself and doing that for hours and then not sleeping and just, you know, it goes on and it rolls on and it's kind of like this, um, binge brooding process. So it used to be very all consuming before. Um, so I've been in this space and in these spaces for, you know, many different, in many different times in my life. And this is, such a tried and true thing that works for me, right? When I'm ready to get back on the horse, when I'm ready to take control of my life and I get that big reality check that's like, okay, I'm done with this. (laughs) I'm done. Marita, you're done. You're done grieving. You're done being a piece of shit. (laughs) And I, you know, I talk to myself pretty harshly. That's, that's what I do say, right? Like, like this, uh, this last stint, right? There's a, a few things that happened in my life, which is, which is normal for me. Right. And I kind of lost my exercise, my eating healthy. And I like put on a little bit of weight. Right. I'm looking at myself and I'm like, no, you're, you're putting on weight. You're getting fat. (laughs) And we both know this is me talking to myself, my subconscious, that that is not, that is not optimal. That's not you. So you're done. And so when I have reached the end of that, I always revert back to the core things that have to be in place for any human being to be um, in sort of their, to give themselves the best chance, right? Um, It's just like when you, and I'll list those things, let's start from there. (laughs) So just the basics, right? You have to be eating properly, nutritious food, right? And I say that, but like not a lot of people know how to eat properly. It's, it's amazing. Actually, it surprises me, right? Um, I can sympathize because I mean, growing up, I really had no concept for how to eat prop eat healthily either, right? I really didn't know I had to teach myself that thing. And when you're growing up in that sort of environment where you're seeing what everybody else eats and, you know, you don't really know any better. And so if you don't have this sort of mind, that's like, wanting to learn about something and explore and like test this theory to see if this is proper like me you don't really know better and you go on with those habits destroying yourself right so you know eating properly it seems like such a simple thing but it's not and what you do put into your body affects you like big time you know it changes your moods and your level of energy um, fatigue and, you know, all kinds of things, uh, your hormonal balances and, and whatever. So it's, it's really important, right? So that's a contributing factor to, you know, how low you're feeling. And the next one is sleep. This is a, another super simple one, right? Like all these, like I said, they're the basics, but, and, and they affect us so much, but it's amazing how 
you know, pharmaceutical companies, doctors, you know, they don't focus on these things, right? We all know that our society just sort of wants to put a bandage on the problem, right? So you're stripping down everything and you're getting yourself yourself back to your basics, right? So sleep is so important. Again, it affects all the things like I mentioned with uh, eating properly, right? If you're getting really poor sleep or if you can't sleep at night, it's like the most optimal time of healing for you happens when you're asleep and healing for your mind and your body. And if you're just going days without sleep and or interrupted sleep, not satisfying sleep, if you're needing something to sleep, you know, that is going to affect you big time. The next one is exercise, right? Again, it's simple, but this one is probably the most important one because when you're in a funk, this one's going to give you a natural boost of endorphins, you know, and feel good hormones, right? It's going to give you the motivation and the energy, right? And it's also the hardest one to implement. Because, I mean, when you're super depressed and you're at the bottom, (laughs) the last thing you want to do is go for a fucking walk, you know, like, fuck that walk. I want to just stay in the safety (laughs) and the loneliness of my bed (laughs) or the bathtub or, you know, uh, fuck, I, you know, planned on drinking a bottle of wine. I'd rather do that than go for a jog, (laughs) you know, like getting out of that, um, mental complacency, right? Putting this first step forward, right? And especially when you've put on a a bit of weight and, and because you have been exercising, you feel a bit weaker, you feel a little bit more insecure, like blah, blah, blah. Like it really takes a lot to just get that first run out, get that first walk out or whatever the hell you're doing, the workout, the swim, you know, anything physical. It's really difficult to change up your environment from the the little bat cave that you've created, <laughs> the comfortable little dark place where, you know, you don't have to do fuck all. <laughs> so this is the most important one, um, but it's the hardest one to do, right? And it doesn't have to be anything crazy, right? Like just start with increments. Life is about longevity. It's about consistency, right? You you have to not think about what what have I accomplished today, right? In terms of exercise, especially, you have to look at if I just put 10 minutes of walking every morning and, you know, look at what that is going to do for me in comparison to laying in bed and not doing anything. <laughs> but 10 minutes of walking, right? Look at that. Look, look at what it's doing for you over the, the span of a month or a year, right? You're getting up in the morning, it refreshes your mood, it opens up your lungs, you're getting sunshine, you're changing up your environment, so you're starting to feel more inspired, you know, you're looking at trees, you're seeing people, it's getting you out of your shell, it's doing a hell of a lot more than it would for you if you were just in your bat cave. And so, you know, it doesn't have to be a crazy amount of exercise. And just continuing through the very basics here, right? So we have eating properly, sleep, exercise, and the last one is support. You have to be able to talk to somebody, (laughs) to somebody, right? And I don't really, I, I don't really have a ton of support. I've never had a big support network, right? I have my dogs, 
<laughs> that's like always been good enough for me. My, I have three Huskies. I, they're my life, my heart and soul. I cannot function without them near me and vice versa. However, I do have my mother and she's my best friend. And I talk to her, um, every second day, every day, just frequently, consistently. And she's such a great listener that I can just get it all out, right? I can just talk to her. I can just unload on her. And that is what I'm talking about, right? You need somebody that knows who you are, that loves you, that you can unload on, get all that shit out. You know, we don't like, we often figure out the answers to our own problems. If we can just talk it out with somebody. And so, you know, I'm not saying you got to have a therapist, just super simple. Who's that friend? Who is that friend that loves you, you know, that you can just unload on, even if you got one person that is support, right? So, you know, I can only base this on my own life and my own experiences. And I know that everybody's incredibly individual, but I do have a strong belief that this works. So anytime you're going through depression or a really difficult time and you're wondering, why do I hate my life? Why do I feel like everything is so fucking hard and I'm so overwhelmed and I'm such a fucking loser and I'm never going to go anywhere and you have all this negative self-talk and you've just dug yourself the biggest hole ever and you're <laughs> you're indulging and you're just a piece of shit, <laughs> you know, we've all been there. Um, but if you're in that state... Just revert to the four basics, just your basic needs, right? Get your eating under control, get your sleep, you know, figured out, get your exercise figured out and have a support person, just the basics. And, and then once you've got those things in place, <laughs> see how you feel, practice those things, those four things and practice them, do them really well, right? Do them for a couple of weeks, even just a couple of weeks, just hang, even a fucking week, just hang in there for a week, hang in there for a week, and then see the difference in how you feel from the starting of the week to the end of the week, when you're putting a hundred percent, you know, of what you can into covering those four things, right? And for me, I notice a drastic change, I am an, I am a totally different person when I've, when I'm taking care of my most basic human needs. So, so <laughs> needless to say, I've come out of a bit of a funk and that's what I'm focusing on right now, right? Um, getting up at 4.30 and the first thing I'm doing is going to the dog park with all my dogs because, <laughs> because I'm a crazy dog lady. I can't, I can't tell you how, <laughs> let me put it this way. I have been brought to tears multiple times in my life from the simplicity of running with all three of my huskies on a beach or in the sunshine or through a field. There is just something about how much I love them and I know how happy it makes them, how happy they look, how their energy is when they're all running. And when I can share that with them, it's just, it just brings me to tears. And so, you know, and then it makes me feel good that they're starting the day off with really rigorous exercise. And then it makes me feel good because I'm doing a couple of, 
laps around the dog park. And, you know, I'm, I'm so blessed to live where I do because the way that they've orchestrated this dog park, when you get to the top, top of the hill, it's right along the ocean. It's right along the ocean on Vancouver Island. And so you just see the whole ocean. The sun's coming up. I'm running with my dogs. It looks like something out of a movie. Like, <laughs> it's been a really great way to start my day. So I've been getting up super early, forcing myself to do that because I love to rise with the sun and I also want to be productive. So I'm forcing myself to do that. It was really hard to get back on that schedule. I was sleeping in until like nine, which is icky for me. I know I'm going to be a piece of shit all day if I sleep until nine. So I've been getting up early and, um, uh, you know, starting my day that way. And then I, fasting is a huge thing for me personally, that helps me feel better, um, you know, mentally, physically. So I usually try to fast until at least afternoon. Sometimes I'll push it if I've eaten a lot, eaten a lot the night before or something, but I try to get some fasting in there. So I'm fasting all morning until at least afternoon. Um, and then I'm just keeping myself busy. You know, nobody ever, <laughs> there's like, I just came from living in a little cabin, just like a a tiny two-bedroom cabin. I say two-bedroom, but like the second room is the living room, right? So that was my room. So it's basically a one-bedroom cabin with a bed in the living room. And so I was living in this tiny little cabin and then coming down to Vancouver Island again, I have now this huge house to be responsible for which is like, you know, it's a bit of an adjustment for me. <laughs> and not only that, but it's like this sort of ritzy suburbs um, area. There's, there's a quite, there's a lot of rich people that have settled here. And so they've just got money to spend and all the time in the world to like, you know, put their energy into, to me, what's a frivolous thing, you know, like lawn maintenance. <laughs> There's a lot of pressure <laughs> to have your lawn look a certain way and for your, you know, it's like, it's like cul-de-sac politics. It's hilarious. Um, you know, it's kind of annoying, but also it's a good challenge for me. I like a challenge. You want a fucking lawn? I'll give you a fucking lawn. <laughs> so, um, and that's been keeping me busy. Um, and, uh, yeah, just the overall upkeep of, you know, having three dogs and, and, and keeping the lawn looking pretty and everything watered and cut and trimmed and swept and whatever. And this is just all the work happening outside of the house. And so, yeah, that's been quite an undertaking. Um, and yeah, I've just been throwing myself into, I've got like probably seven projects on the go and that is the most optimal mode of living for me because I just, I'm a creative person through and through. I just, I can't work for somebody and do the normal <laughs> nine to five bullshit. I, li I literally can't. I just, I've never been able to hold that kind of job for a long period of time. And I've done the, I've done the rat race. I've done the, you know, juggling two or three jobs at a time, single mom running from this job to that job and playing, paying for daycare and blah, 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 blah. And it's just like, you know where that got me? Fucking nowhere. Because <laughs> it's, it's um this, this thing where all the money that you're making goes right back into, you know, somebody managing my kid or my dogs and, and whatever. And it's just like, 
I, it just gets me nowhere. It's like this hamster wheel. And the result of that is that I am sacrificing my happiness, my well-being, my contentment, um, and doing something that I'm not interested in doing. <laughs> uh, I just, uh, I also don't think about money the same way that other people do. It's been really hard for me to like, like, I really don't give a shit about, you know, like, oh, this job will make me so much money. That's my, that's my driving force. Like, <laughs> you, you know, I want to work there. I want to work hard because I'm going to get all this money. <laughs> like, I just, I, that doesn't compute that way in my brain. I'm thinking, you know, I just want to live how I want to live doing what I love doing. And as long as, you know, my bills are paid and whatever, then I'm content, right? I'm not going to slave away somewhere doing a grind and wrecking my quality of life and, and, you know, being <laughs> like under somebody putting up with all the mental bullshit and politics of workplaces and other people and, and letting that, um, you know, dam damage my, my energy. Right. I'm just, uh, it's really difficult to be like a super hyper aware person, um, around a bunch of people, like forced, forced to be around a bunch of people, you know, maybe that you can feel like you're, you're, you're so observant that you can feel all the energy and you can observe all their patterns and like, like, uh, it's so, I'm going to get into this for a minute. Okay. Cause I, I just really feel like there's a certain kind of person, right. And, and other people don't really understand. And so I want to explain this, um, how it is so easy for me to get so overstimulated. It's like, you know, when I am around people, um, I'm constantly reading everything, right? And not just people. I'm reading the environment. I'm reading the patterns of the environment. I'm, I am storing data for the future about the people around me. I am paying attention to everything about myself in response to the environment around me, um, you know, and it's just like, and that's a, that's a trauma response, right? When you have been put time and time again into a set of circumstances where you could not predict that people were going to hurt you, then it makes you hyper aware of everything. So you can try to, so you can try to predict that to avoid being hurt, right? And so it's like this mechanism that developed in me at an early age and you can't, it's like, I can't turn it off. <laughs> it's so ingrained in me because of all the cemented traumas that have happened. And so my mind just naturally works like this. And then now it's sort of like, um, something that I need to do. I need to do something with the, all this information that I'm collecting. So I'm processing it. I'm, I'm connecting all the dots, making sense of it. Um, and so it is like extremely overstimulating for me um, to be around people that I don't know and forcibly <laughs> and, uh, and, and taking in all that information and, you know, and especially when I don't really have a reason to be there, <laughs> a good enough reason. The jobs that I've always done kind of best at are ones where I feel like I'm helping like I'm, I'm helping more than I'm there for myself to make money. Right. So, so anyways, um, yes, overstimulated. 
I don't know where we were going with that, but um, so back to kind of getting out of the funk, um, I wanted to share something that I saw off of Facebook before I permanently deleted it. Yes, I'm very happy that Facebook offers that option now because I have been wanting to get off of Facebook for a long time, but you know, they just, they, they had all my content, right? Like I was a very open kind of person sharing everything because I always lived in the middle of nowhere, like literally like in the bush, right? And I like 11 different cities all over BC and in 10 years because I wanted to, right? Of course, like I, I just have this wanderlust and I love exploring and, um, and I love the process of rebuilding and starting over and I'm very resourceful and I like to feel like I'm putting all of my skills to use and it just makes me feel alive when I'm doing that, honestly. And so, um, and so when I'm that isolated, you know, it was fulfilling a component of connection for me for quite a while, you know, a solid 10 years, right? Because it's just like, even those few people, you know, keeping contact with them and, and, just conversing, right? Because I, I love, I love conversing. I, I love conversations. They're my favorite. I love listening. Um, and, and so it played this sort of pivotal role for me at the time, right? But as I've kind of gotten older and gotten more stability and it's just sort of not doing it for me anymore, I'm really seeing the superficialness of it. It's just really one dimensional and, I've noticed that my um, fortitude for wanting to discuss things with people online has really diminished because it's because it's so tone deaf and it's just so like, it's just not at all like how you would talk to somebody in real life face to face. It's kind of useless, right? If when you compare the two, there's a lot of valuable bonding and understanding and connection. It's tangible that happens you know, when you're face to face with somebody versus, you know, when you're online, you get none of that. And so it's this very, very superficial thing. And, and that was kind of just like, ugh. <laughs> you know, why am I contributing to this? And so anyways, long story short, I was able to, to, um, export all my, my content, my, my photos and my videos are, are the main ones. Right. And I was even able to export my posts, which is like awesome. Facebook. <laughs> but, and so I did that and I permanently deleted my Facebook and that felt really good. It felt really good because it may not seem like a big deal. I want to just throw this in there as well, but like when you put together the amount of energy, right? When you think about it, scrolling or reading this or having an emotional reaction to this or you know, yada, 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 or people being able to ex access you, you know, with more ease, right? That was the other thing that bothered me is I didn't like being so accessible to people, right? And it was also kind of like all my content, all the glimpses of my life just out there, so accessible. It just didn't feel like, um, I just felt like that was valuable. Like all my, my, life my my pieces of my life are so valuable and it was just there for everybody to access and I just stopped feeling comfortable with that you know um I think I also think that if people seek out your content or want to hear from you then you're gonna get more 
value in listeners, right? Rather than if it's just there, it's like, eh, you know, but when you have people who are, have this kind of yearning um, heart, right? To hear what you have to say, they're seeking you out. They're, they're going to be open to you because they're looking for you. Then that's sort of the right kind of listeners and followers. So there's lots of reasons. There's lots of reasons as you can see as to why I love Facebook. But, um, what I was getting at was I saw this post before I permanently deleted it that I thought was so awesome. And I wish that I could tell you the name of the girl that posted it. I don't remember. I just remember reading it and going, that is fucking awesome. That's such a great thing to remember in terms of, you know, being in a funk, you know, when you are, have this negative self-talk, she said, she's like, whenever something along the lines of this, don't quote me, (laughs) but she's like, whenever I'm talking to myself negatively, or I'm having this lack of confidence, right? I look at a picture of myself from when I was a little girl. And, you know, I ask myself, does she is, are these the words that you would tell her? Does she deserve, you think that she deserves to hear any of that? Is this what you would say to her? And I thought that was so fucking awesome. And I, and I'm a hundred percent using it. So thank you, whoever that was. <laughs> um, but that's incredible because you, you never, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, you know, you at a younger age, right. And it connects with you so deeply. It really just puts it into perspective. You would never say those things, the negative things that you're saying to yourself in your head. Um, you know, to a little kid, you would never utter such discouraging garbage, you know, to a little kid. We try to uplift them and tell them that they can follow their dreams and, you know, give them love and support. And, you know, and so looking at that picture, it's like, that's you. Why is it any different? Why are you talking to yourself that way? That's still you, right? And so I think that, you know, we are too hard on ourselves. And as I say this, I'm aware that, (laughs) you know, I have a certain talk that I have with myself, but it's more of a, it's more of a, let's get your butt in gear. Let's go. Cause this is not who you are. You know, it's not in the sense that's just like, okay, you're fucking meh, meh, meh. And then I just stay there and I believe it. Right. I don't believe that I'm none of those things. It's just like reaching the end of the line. But But I thought that that was a really cool tool to use. Um, You know, maybe get a picture of yourself from you as a little kid and just like stick it on your mirror and be like, this is you. (laughs) Be nice to yourself. What would you tell her to encourage her? You know, like you're beautiful. You can do anything, you know, like how cool is that? So again, thank you to whoever that was. Um, so moving on, there's, you know, it's, I have just had a million uh, miles of topics flooding my brain. I have been contemplating so much introspection. (laughs) It's like, I gotta, I gotta put it somewhere. So you're welcome. Here we go. (laughs) I was thinking a lot about collective energy. Um, sorry, rather like a collective frequency because I mean, where this stemmed from for me was I grew up in a Christian home 
And, you know, my, my father was a minister. And so he recently died. And for whatever reason, like him and my relationship with God and Christianity has been like the same thing. Like they're, um, what's that word I'm looking for? It'll come to me, but they're symbiotic. That's the word I'm looking for. And so I can't like throw on a Christian song or something without thinking of my dad. It's not really about God or Christianity. And, you know, it just kind of made me wonder or want to explore what my relationship with God is and, and what, where, like, where, <laughs> like, does it have to be Christianity? Does it have to be like, how does this work? I want to, to, to discover God over again in my own way, on my own path, in my own terms, you know, not through the guise of this religion. And so, you know, it made me think about how, you know, things like cults and things like religion, when you go to a church, because it feels so good, right? It does feel good. Anybody who's gone to church knows that when you, when you go and everybody's singing and it's just like this lovely feeling and I have often cried. I'm such a softy inside, right? Like it's so beautiful and it feels so nice to be around these people and we're all singing and it's like, it makes me cry. It makes me emotional. And, and I was thinking about that and thinking about how I think that, you know, because we're all energy you know, when you're on the same kind of frequency, when a bunch of people are on the same frequency of energy, right? Because like on a, a molecular level, right? Has anybody ever seen those, those videos where, you know, you're taking like a, like a magnet and it's on some lead or something. I can't remember what the, what the, 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 the stuff was, the grain or whatever that was moving, but it's just like making these beautiful patterns, Right and life is patterns everything is patterns and you know it's just like there are frequencies you know i can't explain this in scientific terms because i'm not a scientist but i feel like this information is sort of well known now right i would dare say there's this huge new age movement that seemed to take over the world <laughs> and everybody got super into this stuff including me and there is you know a lot of scientific backing for it um, you know, not for the hippie side of things, but, <laughs> um, I got to catch myself. Sometimes I can be a little bit judgmental, but it's in a loving way. I think it's healthy to judge, um, just what you do with that judgment. Um, sorry, one second. My son is interrupting me. Yes, you don't have to ask me to take a shower. <laughs> okay, bye. Um, yes, such is life of the single parent. So collective frequency, right? I'm, I'm thinking about, it's like that distinction. What is God and what does he feel like? And is there, is that God, the presence of God? Because that's what they tell you in church, right? When you're, when you're all singing together and you're praising God, you know, that feeling that you get where it feels so good and it keeps you coming back to church and stuff. Is that the presence of God or is that so many people being on 
a collective, pardon me, frequency. And, you know, you're just vibing. Like, literally, you're just, it feels good because you're all on the same frequency. And so, you know, it's like, not only with that, not, not only with religion, but things like songs, right? Music choice. There's certain songs that we connect uh, with each other over, right? Both of us, you know, two people like the same song. It's like, wow, I love this song. And there's this connection and you're vibing, right? It's like that same frequency. And so I was thinking a lot about this and that's basically empathy, right? I mean, empathy is the ability to step into the emotions of the other person and truly sympathize, empathize, right? So it's basically, it's the same thing as like having the ability to change yourself. What's the word I'm looking for? To transition into, onto the frequency that they're on in order to, to vibe with them you know, to be with them, to connect, to empathize. So I thought that was really interesting, kind of making that connection, right? Empathy is just having the ability to vibe with somebody on their frequency, right? You step out of your frequency, you're listening to what they're saying, and then you're just there with them. And I thought that was really cool. And so you see examples of vibing (laughs) in life, right? But yeah, I think to me, what evokes the most, the most desire for exploration is, you know, kind of getting to the bottom of how God comes into play with that. And I think that's a bigger conversation for much later, because there's quite a few topics that I'd like to cover today. Um, but yeah, uh, I promise you that that one's pending. Um, so something, hmm, here's an interesting one. We don't like to say this because there are certain lines in life that should not be crossed. Lines like, um, okay, whoa, whoa, as I'm thinking about this in my head, just we're going to step into some deep shit here, okay? This is more of a serious tone, right? Because I I just had some sort of a disruption in my own life involving some pretty serious shit, and it, it got me thinking a lot, right? It got me thinking a lot of where we have to draw lines for compassion, for our compassion. In a sense, we have to contain our compassion Um, because there are certain lines in life that you can't cross, right? You can't be a murderer. You can't be a rapist. You can't um, lie, cheat, and steal, right? I'm thinking of more of the more serious ones, but... But, and it's interesting because, you know, when you really kind of reach this self-awareness, right, this level of self-awareness, and you see everybody as human, and that they're all sort of experiencing life the same way that you are, all of us were dealt a certain, like, set of circumstances where we evolved through those circumstances, and a lot of them were shitty for a lot of people, and vice versa. And, you know, so when you really try, you can empathize with the worst kinds of evils, right? But 
that's where I say you have to draw a line for compassion. And I think so, you know, and, and we do that in society, right? We say we, we come up with laws and we say, no, once you cross this line, you're fucked. You know, you're either getting the death sentence or you're in prison for the rest of your fucking life. And this and this and this, there's all these consequences. Society says, no, here's the line, right? So I was thinking about how we do that in our own lives. And I was thinking about how we get to those lines of compassion, right? Because I think having boundaries is hard when you're a really compassionate person. Um, you know, like you can sympathize even when there's a shitty person, you can, you can be like, you know, I get it. They're still human. They're trying to figure it out, blah, blah, blah. And you have this compassion, right? And I just thought that that distinction was super interesting and how having boundaries isn't easy because we're not easy for, you know, lots of people, um, because of our compassion. And I don't know, I just thought that that was kind of a cool thing as humans. It's more of a sort of an altruistic way of looking at the the design of the human, right? I I don't know. I'm always pretty pessimistic (laughs) when it comes to humans and our connection and, and how we interact with one another. But I think that we have this inclination to be compassionate to people and, and then we have, you know, these things that happen in our life where we realize we have to put boundaries in place and yada, yada, yada. But I mean, when you think of a a child, right, you just, children don't care who you are. They just want to play and love you and, and all of this. And so, yeah, I just, I just thought that that was really interesting, but like I say, not easy, right? Um, funny enough, there are consequences to not having boundaries with compassion. And I don't think that that's the thing that people really think about is the ripple effect that a certain choice can have in our lives, you know, because I've said before that once you're sort of capable of something, you're always sort of capable of that thing and beyond, right? That line becomes blurred the more that it's, you know, it's kind of like as I'm, I'm visualizing in my mind, like a wave hitting a rock, right? Say the rock is the boundary. And over time, it just sort of grinds it down, even though the rock is really solid, eventually that's going to happen. And then the wave gets more and more, you know, uh, advantage over the rock. And so in the same way, this happens, right? And in many different forms in our lives, once we make this okay, then this small thing is okay and yada, 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 and so on. So I guess it's interesting to think about when a boundary doesn't seem like a big deal, right? It's just like, why? It's just this. It's just that. It's often not just that, right? It opens up a door for many of those that's (laughs) in the future, right? And so, yeah, I don't know. That's um, something to consider when respecting and making boundaries that I thought was interesting. So I'm going to segue from compassionate people and boundaries (laughs) into violence and abuse and how much smarter abuse has gotten. 
because I watched this, this is sort of where this all kind of came from for me. I've been a bit of a movie buff lately. I really like, well, I've been really into old movies once in a while, just throw in a different one, but I like B-rated films. I don't really like the over overly commercialized mainstream films. Um, I really like B-rated movies and older films from like 70s, 80s, 90s. Because I just, it's really interesting watching the difference. And before I jump into this topic, I'll, I just want to make this distinction that I noticed I thought was really cool. Like, you know, when you take our world today, right, there is this commercialism with how we live our lives, you know, with social media and, you know, being filmed all the time and not having the freedom to be sort of unabashedly these individuals who act like idiots and fuck up and make mistakes like there's less room for that because people are so judgmental they're always filming there's this like this thing of coming across as like you have this perfect life and yada 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 and so that really takes away from the little nuances of being human because we are human we have all these little quirks and nuances and we say stupid shit and we learn and you know we evolve and like that's how we connect and like um, while well, we learn how to connect and, and all these little, these little eccentric human things that we do, right? And it seems like that has been really flushed out of society and it's just everything is so over-commercialized. It's just big and, you know, bright and beautiful and perfect and whatever. And when I'm watching these older films, I really appreciated the nuances of being human that, you know, was focused on. In, in the films I was watching. And I, I just chalk that up to, I think, just being in a different time, like the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, where social media didn't exist and a little bit in the 90s, but, you know, where it, it, it was a different time. Things weren't that overly commercialized. People, you know, could screw up more, right? You weren't being filmed. There was this individualism, that was more prevalent, prevalent, let's mixing prevalent and evident, <laughs> more evident in society, right? And I think about this in terms of music, right? I think that that's why you're not seeing the individuality of, of artists nowadays, right? You think back to the 70s, which is my, my favorite, like, I love old music. I, <laughs> I love everything old. I'm just not a fan of anything <laughs> new. I know that's a huge generalization, but, you know, when it comes to craftsmanship and music and movies and, and art and whatever, I just think that there is just so much more value, you know, in a time that is not modern. <laughs> um, but so, you know, in these films, well, sorry, going back to music, right? You had just so many different sounds. And I, I think it's interesting because a lot of the artists that came out around the 70s and stuff, right? Like take Neil Young, for example, didn't really have like this super amazing voice. It was a Neil Young voice, right? And then you get these this other completely different sound like uh, Led Zeppelin's my favorite band of all time and you know they have this sound where it's like this bluesy rock that came out and it was just so different and then you've got Pink Floyd which was sort of the introduction into the 
like uh, the festival genre where it was just such an experience of music. It was a huge story being told throughout the album and, and then, you know, how they would put on their performances, you know, with just, it was, they were all different, you know, all very different sounds. Um, I'm trying to think back to, oh, Fleetwood Mac, another one of my fucking favorites, right? <laughs> I'm trying to think of, of uh, female artists because funny enough, I seem to gravitate more to male artists. Um, but, um, you know, uh, what's her name? Uh, oh, I'm going to fucking shoot myself. Uh, Stevie, Stevie Nicks. And so she's got a different sound, right? And, and it's just all so different. And you look at music nowadays and there's this this mumble rap. And then when you do have the pop that's coming out, it just all sounds so, it's like listening to a record versus, you know, whatever the fuck they have nowadays. I don't even know because, because everything is like online. There's no CDs. It's like downloads. So how do you refer to that? <laughs> um, and so, you know, it's just, it's very different. And and it kind of makes me sad. I just wish that there was more of that human nuance um, today. I just wish that people, because I mean, like you're, of course you're going to experience anxiety. You're not going to want to like take risks and, you know, take the risk of looking stupid or acting stupid or trying this or trying that. Like it's a way scarier world for that stuff. And when you don't try, you know, it's like suffocating all that beautiful product that beautiful individualism that could be coming out today it's just like we're robbed of that from all these humans that could be sharing all this cool stuff (laughs) you know the same as back then where you get all this all this this um this variety right um and so yeah that was a really that was something that I noticed in an older film that I really appreciated um was just like they, they're these characters, these these people, even just the the characters, right? That they had, because I mean, people are fucking weird. Like you're gonna you're gonna experience all kinds of different humans and characters and stuff, right? In in real life, and it seems like I don't know, they don't focus so much on that, like these quirky little, you know, nuances of of people and and whatever in in these these newer films, right? Whereas back then it was just so, it was so funny. It's just so fucking hilarious. Um, so yeah, I've been really enjoying that. And then with B-rated films, pardon me, I like it because it's just like, it's more of a, it's the same thing. It's more of a human story. There's some, there's more flaws in it. It, you know, sometimes it's like a super simple plot and, but I appreciate the simplicity of it because it's just a normal human day. Like not all of our lives are fucking exciting. You know, sometimes we have boring weeks, boring months, you know, and so you'd have this boring story and it's just real and it's human. And so I've been really getting into those kinds of films. And um, so I watched this film. Um, It's called North Country. I think. And I watched it. And just a segue into what I was originally going to talk about. I'm just going to take a sip of water here, though. It really intrigued me. So it's about 
I think it's from, I can't remember if it's earlier, mid-70s or what, but the 70s, it's about a mine up north, and there were no women working in that mine. It was completely um, man-dominated workspace. And so women started working in that mine, and there was so much heinous sexual harassment and back then they had nothing to perfect uh, protect them right there was no you know sexual harassment code or you know uh what is the official term for that uh, in legal terms but there was nothing to protect them is what my point is and so they the stuff that they that they endured on the show like you know finding dildos in their lunch kits and um you know, one point somebody smeared shit, um, in the words of cunt in the locking locker room. And, um, and then, you know, the girls were always afraid of getting raped and they would, you know, call them bitches and cunts constantly. And just, just like this demeaning condescending, right. It was just, it was just like being thrown to the wolves. Right. And it was crazy because, so this woman, she ended up doing something about it, right? She almost got raped by this guy and she's like, that's fucking it. I've had enough. And so she quit and she met this lawyer and she's like, will you help? You know, and so he ends up helping her. And it was amazing to see, you know, all the women were so afraid to stand with this woman because they were all still working there and they would get penalized by the men if they didn't win. A scary situation to be in, right? And so they ended up, you know, uh, prevailing, right? Um, the woman, she was bold, she spoke her story. Mind you, her father stood beside behind her and you know, supported her. And he ended up saying something, and that really I think made a made a huge difference back then. But and then all the women jumped jumped on board and then they prevailed. They got um, you know, a sexual harassment policy in place and you know, women could be in that workforce and be safe. And so it really made me think about, you know, here I'm looking at this, this outright, just uh, this, this violence, this abuse, and just like, you know, it's from a different time, right? It's just sort of out there and more aggressive. You know, it's like back in the day, smoking in a restaurant, and it's just like, now would be like, oh my God, no, like, that's not allowed. That's, that's how we've orchestrated our world is we have all these rules and policies and, and whatever. And, you know, I thought about that. What do they say? (laughs) I'm not sure if this is something they say, but, but this is something that I know to be true is that, you know, liars, right? They don't, it's either they start telling the truth or they get better at lying. And I kind of think that the same is true in terms of violence and abuse um, uh, and I can only speak for a woman's perspective, but I think that violence and abuse has gotten less, uh, violent and more psychologically abusive, right? I think it's become smarter. I think that, um, yeah, I just think, I, I think that violence and abuse has evolved in the same way everything else has, right? To become smarter. It's like, the people are better liars. They're more manipulative. Um, you know, that's why you see this, this, this flux of narcissism, right? It's fucking everywhere. Narcissism just blew up. Now it's like the key word 
he's a narcissist. Yep, that one was, an, I, my life was affected by a narcissist, right? And it's just funny to me because I don't think that that's a coincidence. I think that that's because, you know, the really toxic men in the world have just had to evolve in a way where they were smarter about what they were doing because, you know, of all the policies and everything in place, you know, for women to try to help us deal with, you know, as the weaker sex to try to help us deal with these situations with violent men. And so isn't that interesting? Isn't that an interesting concept? And uh, (laughs) I don't know. I think it's kind of like it's worse Like, I don't, like, you know, people can say, like, I don't know. I ask myself, I'm just like, would I rather have been punched in the face, you know, and gotten it over with? Or would I rather have somebody fuck with me psychologically, emotionally, on every level, you know, for fucking years? Because it took you that long to figure out what was going on to try to unravel all the bullshit, right? Rather than just like have this outright violent person reveal himself immediately. I would rather get punched in the face than have to deal with the bullshit of the manipulative abuse that happens nowadays, right? Because it's like, you know, and I've never been punched in the face by a man. I've never been punched in the face. I've never been um, to that extreme, in that form, I should say, but in every other regard, every, every other regard, everything else that you could possibly do so that it wasn't obvious that I was enduring abuse was inflicted upon me. And so, you know, and a lot of women can, can relate, right? I don't know a single fucking woman in my realm, in my world, who doesn't have at least one story of something horrific that they went through with a toxic person. Just like the most unbelievable shit (laughs) where you're just like, what? (laughs) You know, and, and it's, uh, it's scary. It's really scary. Um, yeah. What more do I want to say about that? (laughs) I mean, it's just like, you're being fucked with on every, with every fiber of your being. And it is such a, the, 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 the consequences of that, right. Is like, it's like leaving isn't even necessarily the hard part. I mean, it is really difficult, especially if you're dealing with a narcissist, right. To, to like fully get them to fucking let go of you is really difficult, right. Like these are the kinds of people that can just like come in right underneath you and steal your whole fucking life. And (laughs) impersonate somebody else and make you look like the villain and they come out on top and it's just like such a mind fuck so you know as difficult as it is to get these people out of your life and like untangle everything (laughs) that's happened or detangle you know because you just get so intertwined in each other's lives like oh um but that that's hard but there is the process of trying to reconstruct yourself afterwards. Like that is really fucking difficult too. I don't know which one's harder. You know, maybe, maybe the latter because it takes, well, you know, the other one takes a long time too. So they're both just shitty. And 
you know, having to reconstruct yourself because, you know, things like gaslighting and it makes you paranoid, right? Because you have to do things and cross certain moral codes within yourself to get to the bottom of something, right? Like, I have never, ever been the kind of person ever who has looked through somebody's phone or read any of their personal private information, right? And because that's just, it crosses a moral code for me. I just, I think that if you're at that point where you have the inclination to do that, then you shouldn't be with that person. And so, you know, I was in this position, but I knew, you know, I had something in my head. I'm like, what the fuck is this, right? And, you know, I wasn't really able to walk away because I was stuck with this person. And I don't know, I I needed answers. I needed answers because this was the first narcissist that I had dealt with. Um, and it was just new to me. And I just, I don't know, I needed the, some kind of truth. I fucking needed it. I was so hungry for it. I needed the truth, right? And because, I mean, I had alarm bells going off constantly. It was just like, ding, 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 ding. And now I know <laughs> as a result of that, re- result of seeing that, right? Like if, if it ever happens again, then it's just like, get the fuck out. That's what that means. But I wasn't sure really what that meant. I don't know. It was a big learning curve for me. So, you know, I had crossed that line. I had gone and read things. I had, I had, um, you know, I had done that. I had crossed that line within myself. And, and so when you see when you cross that line, right, then when the next person that you're with, right, you have this paranoia happening. You're just like, oh my God, (laughs) is the same thing happening? You know, like, are they actually doing this when they say that they're doing this, right? And having to filter that out of your being so you can revert back to, you know, having those boundaries of your personal integrity, right? That is difficult, Because again, it's that fucking thing that I always refer to is once you're capable of doing something, you're always going to be capable of that thing. And it's, it's kind of like, it's, you can't really revert back. It's like something being stretched out and unable to revert back to its original form, right? It takes a lot of reprogramming and, you know, it's, it's a battle in your mind and it requires a lot of, you know, putting faith and confidence and, you know, just believing that the world is better, that not everybody is, you know, a piece of shit. (laughs) And also you have to teach yourself better ways of discerning people and assessing people, right? Now, you know, right, you take, you take the, the experience that you've just had, you learn from it, right? So now, you know, when you see these signs, these specific signs, you run, right? You don't have to cross those lines, right? So it's just about teaching yourself to be better, um, you know, at becoming aware of things and people. So, so yeah, you know, the world of men and abuse and, you know, toxicity is a mindfuck now, I think more than ever, because abuse and violence has gotten smarter. (laughs) Um, and, uh, yeah, on to the next thing, segue, as this sort of relates to it, I had mentioned that I was going to share one of my rules that I live by. I have a lot of rules. (laughs) I've experienced a lot of things in my life and, you know, I, I just think about everything 
you know, forwards, backwards, sideways. And, you know, the, the rule with a rule <laughs> is that it has to have a resounding truth. And that's, that's the thing about truth, right? Is that it will always be true. It's true forever. Um, and so with a rule, it has to be applicable always, right? It's got to have truth forever. And so, I don't know, maybe it's not so much a list of rules, but a list of truths. So, um, I was going to say something else that just came to mind. You know, yeah, well, yeah, I want to mention this just in terms of, um, people trying to manipulate you, you know, something that I experienced and that I noticed also was that (laughs) a big giveaway to manipulation is when something is complicated, right? The truth isn't complicated. It's just the truth. If you have to like, oh, but you don't understand. And it's, there's this, this big story and like, you know, but then this happened and you wouldn't believe this happened and this happened and blah, 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 blah. She's like, oh, you know, you know, just put your faith in me. Like there's this whole, you know, they could really reel you in by talking circles around you. Right. And the truth is just simple. It is not complicated. So the second the truth starts getting complicated, that is a dead giveaway. And, uh, I noticed that the big one, um, for dealing with, uh, uh, yeah, fuck. I mean, I'm just going to come out and say it. Uh, I don't, I don't really owe him anything. You know, my, my father, I'll say this. My father was a good person. I had a wonderful, wonderful childhood, you know, with my father. Um, he was a good dad when I was young, when I was young. And I don't know if that's because, you know, when you're a kid, you're naive, you don't really pay attention to a lot. But all I knew was that he took us out a lot. We went camping and we were really outdoorsy and he was so much of a hillbilly and that made it fun, (laughs) you know, but, uh, my dad left my family with a ton of grievances and, just really disturbing information. You know, like I I mentioned, he was a minister and it turned out that he was more of a cult leader and, you know, with cult leaders without directly saying it, you know, I can allude to what he was involved with and it was devastating, but at the same time, not really surprising. And I just remember the way that this kind of a person would try to sell me on something, right? And, well, sell me on the truth, right? And I remember thinking that in my head, listening to it. I'm just like, this is way too fucking complicated for the truth. And that's sort of how I knew and I uncovered it. So, yeah, that's something to just be, I don't know, aware of, right? The truth is simple. So, moving on to one of my lists, one of my, my things on my list of truths (laughs) is that I've always said, I think all my people in my immediate circle and that know me well, have heard this a billion times is that people are patterns. People are patterns. And for me, when I'm really observing and trying to assess who a person is, making distinctions about their character and, you know, because I'm paying attention to all of that, 
involuntarily <laughs> just become a part of me um you know i'm looking for i am looking for inconsistencies contradictions double standards um you know are their words matching their act their actions right you should be able to make like connect things make patterns with what they say right like says this and I see that appearing as well in this and this. It's a constant. It's a truth, right? When there is an irregularity, then my guard goes a little bit up. And then I sort of sit back into more of an observer, um, watching to see if that irregularity um, leads me to a pattern of uh, toxicity or something that needs to be worked on in them. Right. And, and usually it does, you know, I mentioned before that people are, um, you know, when we're talking about frequencies and stuff, a good way to think about it is that, you know, when everything is taken down to a molecular level, you're looking at a design and you're looking at a perfect flowing design. Um, you know, and when you, when you think of an irregularity, then the design isn't perfect, right? And so there's more work to do on that person before they're like in a state of total self-awareness and, you know, and the, the, the disharmony, I think that's a word that I want to use. When there is disharmony in their authentic design, that's where it can be dangerous. Because when people contradict themselves, then the trust is affected with the connection that you're having with that person. Um, you know, because we sort of trust each other. We put our faith in each other as like, you're presenting this to me and I'm accepting that this is you and I'm, you know, connecting and responding on the faith that you're being authentic, right? And... Um, when they have capacity for contradicting themselves, when there's irregularities in their personality and there's double standards and all of this, it's like, then you know that their behavior will randomly, spontaneously fluctuate in different circumstances. And so you can't really trust them in the same way as like sort of an unwavering support, if that makes sense. And, you know, uh, like people evolve just like anything, right? They can change their patterns. Of course, you know, nobody's perfect, but are the, are the inconsistencies safe enough based on other patterns, right? So if you see an irregularity, you know, um, that's sort of alarming, you look at their other consistencies, right? Integrity, maybe. Um, you know, do they always do what they say? Are they responsible? Do you see the responsible, uh, ripple effects in their life, right? All of these sort of pillars of, of a, of a character, um, you know, is that, are those safe enough consistencies that you can sort of be, you, you know, okay with the irregularity that you're seeing in them? At least this is the way that I sort of think of people. 
right? Um, <laughs> it's so funny. It goes off in my head like a bell. Whenever I see an irregularity or a contradiction or a double standard or something, I'm like, mm, that doesn't make sense. So you're choosing not to be your authentic self in this circumstance. So what does that mean? That you're going to flip switch and not be your authentic self in this circumstance, you know? So it's just when we talk about having boundaries, right, and the ripple effects of that, you know, it does show up. Um, like if you make an allowance for a certain thing, right? If like for me, <laughs> I'm just trying to put this into terms where it'll make sense. Like for me, if I see an irregularity and, and then I just keep, kind of keep on giving it a pass, you know, I'm just passive about it. Like, okay, not a big deal or whatever. Right. And then it, and then I notice something pertaining to that show up again and again. And each time it does, it makes me uncomfortable. Um, and then it gets to the point where something big will happen. Right. And something big usually does because it's that thing, right? Once you're, once they're capable of like this, then they're going to be capable of it's, it's the, the wave against the rock. (laughs) I hope you're following. I'm using a lot of metaphors here, but, and that's why irregularities are such a big deal to me, even if they're small, right? Um, to me, all I'm seeing is the big picture, right? This is going to be a problem later on. I can already see the seeds of that being planted. Mm, Another metaphor. (laughs) But so I don't know, for me, it's like, I tend to really pull away. If, If the other consistencies don't, aren't strong enough um, in a person's fundamental character, um, then I'll start pulling away or making boundaries because I know the severity of the consequences of those tiny little things adding up to something big happening. And then that thing is usually detrimental. So, um, Oh, I got one more topic for you. (laughs) Just looking at my little brainstorming board, trying to get all my thoughts out um, this morning. Um, I got one more topic, but I'm going to need a glass of water here. I'm thirsty. All right. I'm good. I am um, hydrated. (laughs) Oh, wait a minute. Okay, I'm good. Yes, that is a vape. For me, it's more of a fidget. I don't really, there's like hardly any nicotine in this thing, but I don't know. I just like to, I like to fidget. <laughs> what do they call that? There's a name for that. Um, like people with autism, they, um, damn it. There's a fucking name for that. It's called, oh, that's going to bother me now. I'm going to look it up after I'm done talking about this. So another way that my brain really goes into overdrive and I organize all the thoughts, all the data that I'm taking in about the world and about people and whatever, is that I, because my brain is so hyperactive, right? I've always had, well, dreams that I can remember, right? It's not that people don't dream. It's that most people sleep so deeply that they don't remember their dreams. And so, you know, um, I just want to throw a name out there, like Matthew Walker. I've listened to quite a bit of him on several different podcasts and he is an amazing, um, what would you call him? Dream sleep scientist. (laughs) 
I'm sorry if I'm butchering that term, but but he just speaks about the relevancy of you know the kind of sleep that you're getting and yeah he's amazing he's just got so much information on sleep but but anyways um so my brain you know is still super hyperactive when i'm dreaming and all my life i can always remember my dreams and they're always super symbolic like um you, they'll arrange them for me in a visual uh way so that I wake up and then it's usually like something to be aware of or I'll even have uh, premonitions or sometimes I'll dream of somebody specifically that I haven't seen, heard from or talked to in fucking years and then um, I'll just dream about something that tells me something about their life. It's really weird. Um, but with that, having a super hyperactive brain and being in this dream space is that... Um, for a solid 10 years, I suffered from sleep paralysis. And I say suffered because it's uh, pretty fucking traumatizing. <laughs> so, uh, and I'll explain why, first of all. Sleep paralysis is, it's when, you know, there's, uh, what was it? There's components in your body that shut off, you know, um, when you go to sleep. One of them being that you, your body has like a natural paralyzing thing that becomes active when you go to sleep so that you're not acting out your dreams, right? Which makes sense. Um, and there's something that just sort of doesn't switch off. And so you're seeing in real time, at least to your, to your brain, kind of things in your dreams. <laughs> Sometimes it's things in your dreams. Well, this is the odd thing about sleep paralysis. Because, so, uh, there's so much I want to share about this. I just have to organize my thoughts here. Um, it's interesting because people report seeing the same things in all the data collected about this, right? If you look it up, you know, as far as you can go, you know, people report seeing the same fucking things. So if there's something that switches off, right? And you're seeing your sort of your imaginative, your imagination in real time. Um, how is that possible? Because each of us are dreaming different things. And I can tell you, I can tell you that the dreams that I have are not even close to what I see when I'm experiencing a sleep paralysis episode, right? And so the things that people report seeing are always dark shadows, dark figures. And, um, this old witch is something that people always used to see, especially, um, like back in the day, I'm not sure exactly how, how long ago, maybe, I don't know, a couple hundred years or something. Um, and interestingly enough, the, the, the word nightmare came from this witch that, um, she often would come and sit on people's chests is what they described. Right. And you'd feel this weight on your chest. And I've, I've definitely felt this. I haven't seen the witch, but I've felt the weight. Um, I felt the weight, I think, I, even when I'm on my stomach, I've felt like weight pushing me into the bed. Um, but so, and they called her the old mare. And so that's where the term nightmare comes from. But it's interesting because, so people report seeing all of these same things. It's like black figures, shadowy things, and the witch. And, you know, it just doesn't really make any sense to me because if 
you were seeing your dreams in real time, we'd all have these uh, like amazing, you know, fucking Power Rangers and turtles and bunnies and whatever you dream of. I don't dream about any of those things, but, (laughs) um, but let me just explain what the sensation is like and why it's such a traumatizing thing because it, your body doesn't, all the sensations of your body are the same, right? It's like you're, when I, when I say real time, you're experiencing it in real time. It's like, it's the same thing as what you would feel if, you know, an intruder came into your home and you're watching them walk towards you, right? Except you're paralyzed. You can't move. You're totally, completely helpless, but you're having all the same, same sensations. You can hear them walking across the floor. Lots of times you can hear their breath. Sometimes they talk to you you know, and, but the difference is that you're completely stuck. There's nothing you can do about it. You're totally vulnerable. You you can't fucking move. It's like terrifying, right? So your body is experiencing all of the trauma that it would if, you know, you're alone at night in your room and you hear somebody walking down the hallway that's not supposed to be there, right? And so your body is freaking out like, holy fuck, who is this person? There's an intruder in my home. Am I going to die? what's going on, all your senses are just going crazy because that's the way that your body is processing it because it's happening in real time. All your senses are aware. And so it's really fucking scary. Um, You know, for me, I was always alone and isolated. And so, you know, I'd often be in my house alone. Well, I mean, with my, you know, son sleeping in the next room or whatever. And I would finally snap out of this thing and just sit up in bed, you know, in the middle of the dark in my room in an empty house and just be like, holy fuck, trying to calm myself down from what felt like having an intruder, um, you know, totally take advantage of me. Right. And I don't mean have have sex with me. I mean, like, um, not take advantage of me, but, um, uh, what's that word? Um, violate me. (laughs) That doesn't sound any better. (laughs) I'm not referring to sexual nature. Um, but I'm referring to like, Okay. One of the things that was really, that really, really stood out to me was that the shadows that I would see, there was always this, this big, dark, murky energy around them. And it, it, as they came closer, right? When you started sort of stepping into this field, right? When their field was like, become coming closer to you and you were like in that field of murky energy it was the grossest feeling that I've ever felt it was so gross like how can I explain this like you know the way that we feel when you uh are reading something really disturbing about uh like a pedophile or something or like a a serial killer did this or whatever for me the most horrifying thing is, you know, a pedophile. I can't, I can't like, you know, that makes me feel so disturbed, like to my core. And pardon me, that's how it feels. That's how that field around them feels. That murky darkness is such a sickening, disgusting feeling. And so, you know, I would see that a lot. And sometimes I would hear whispers and breathing. And, and a lot of the time I never had any of mine sort of interact with me, but they would just stare at me 
and make me aware that they were there, which is, you know, interesting. Um, you know, sometimes it would be like they would be standing right by my door, right? Or, or standing at the foot of my bed or walking towards me, you know, or, or sitting on my bed or, and they're just always not harming me, but making me aware that they were there. And, you know, of course it was still terrifying. And, um, and so it, it took me fucking forever to try to navigate this. Right. And, um, so I couldn't sleep with the light off in my room for, like I said, 10 years, like once I figured out this distinction, right. Um, because whenever I had a nightlight on, I wouldn't get sleep paralysis, but whenever I slept with the lamp off in complete blackness, darkness, pardon me, I would get it every single time, which is interesting. Um, and so something that was also intriguing about this was that <laughs> it's so weird. Like, so the only way that I was able, cause I mean, as soon as it started happening, I was aware, I was like, Oh fuck, not another one, <laughs> you know, like Jesus Christ, like just hang in there. You know, this is going to be over. I'm talking to myself. I'm completely aware that it's happening, you know, and I'm just like, uh, you know, there's no point in, in saying anything to this thing or talking to it or whatever. It's not going to talk back. It's not going to interact with me. It's just, I know somewhere in my core that it's just making me aware that it's there. And, and so, you know, the only thing that worked oddly enough, oddly enough, and I've actually read, you know, cause I've researched the fuck out of this and guess what? There's really not a lot of information about, out there about sleep paralysis and, and what this phenomenon is. But, um, the only thing that worked, right. And of course I grew up in a religious family, but is when I said, um, you know, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, get away from me, you know, or, uh, you know, I tell, tell myself to wake up and I would say in the name of Jesus, I'm going to wake up. Um, and so it was really strange by saying that, I would wake up, it would go away, it would stop. That is the only thing that worked. Okay, and I tried everything. I tried just trying to be in control, forcing myself to wake up, making myself relax. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I just, it's the only thing that worked. And so it's so funny to me because I stopped having them only two years ago completely, completely stopped. Now I can totally sleep with the light off. It's not even something that crosses my mind anymore. I never get sleep paralysis anymore. And it totally stopped after, um, you know, my, my father and I have been estranged for years. You know, we've, we've never had a good relationship. We have a lot of trauma between us. Um, so, you know, there was like a, I don't know. Yeah. Close to a decade where we really, I think it was seven years where we didn't talk and then we tried to reconnect and then it didn't work and whatever. And it was just so complicated. And so I wound up, um, camping in my hometown for two months. Um, once I got away from this, uh, narcissistic person, my, my last relationship, which was great, too fucking old for this shit is what I said to myself after that. Um, <laughs> but it was, yeah, it was really odd. I ended up it was really odd how it happened. Actually, I was camping and 
just really not in a good place. And uh, out of nowhere, out of nowhere, <laughs> my dad comes rolling up on this quad directly to my campsite, not even knowing that I was there. But yeah, it was fucking weird. And so, so we connected, we met, and I think we were both so tired at this point of just not having each other in each other's lives. At least it's how I interpret it. I can't pretend to know what was going on in his head because he's, you know, the king of narcissism. Um, and so after, so I reconnected with him and, you know, this is before I had all these realizations about who he was and learned all this stuff, right? I, at this point, he's still, I'm still believing that he's a good person and he's my father, you know? And so um, I finally reconnected with my dad. I had my father back and it was so weird because it seemed like he was a different person. It seemed like he had learned through everything. Um, he learned from everything and he was acting like the father that I've never had that I wish that I had always had. It was amazing. It was, it was, I can't even explain to you what the, what it felt like to, to have that pillar, you know, reconstructed underneath me to have my mother and my father in my life again you know it was just to have that security the security I that I felt and the love and support it's something that I can't even I can't describe I can't begin to describe um you know I didn't feel like this lost thing and I just felt safe I felt safe you know I had my dad back in my life and I was a daughter and I had a father. And so after, um, after I reconnected with him, then I moved up north um, and he stayed, you know, in my hometown or whatever, because that's where he lives. But um, when I went up north, um, after I reconnected with him, I stopped having sleep paralysis altogether, which is bizarre and very interesting. You know, um, and it makes me wonder, right? Because I woke up in, or, or sorry, I grew up in a Christian home, and and dad and God, dad and Christianity, my dad and Christianity were very much, um, you know, the same thing. There's that word again I'm looking for, but they were the same thing. And so I wonder if when I was saying in the name of Jesus, you know, get away from me. If I wonder if what I was actually saying was, you know my dad is here, get away from me. And that lack of security that I felt in my heart and in my mind with my dad not being in my life, you know, was, was the cause of me having this sleep paralysis. Isn't that fucking wild? Very interesting. Very interesting. So, so a few thoughts that I have about sleep paralysis and sort of the dream world and all this shit. Um, I have a different opinion about sleep paralysis and, and the dream realm. Um, and I call it that because it is a realm to me. I'm just going to speak my truth on this. You know, having <laughs> had hundreds of sleep paralysis episodes and lived through every horrifying moment. Um, I think that there are some people that have this mechanism in their brain where, you know, this miraculous thing happens at night 
right? When you think about it, it's kind of interesting how, you know, without us telling our brains to do this, to go to sleep, it naturally does this by default. It's like, you know, one program shuts off and another one fires up, right? And it just does that naturally. And so I think that there's sort of an ability in some people's brains where when that other program fires up at nighttime, right? Because that's where you're doing, there's a whole other system that's happening, a whole other software, if you will, that's that's going on in your body um, at nighttime. And I, I think that some people have this this component in their software where it makes them able to access this underlying realm that is actually there all the time in our day-to-day life. I think that the things that I saw were already there and that when I went to sleep, I was just able to see them. I think that we are surrounded by, I think, I do think that there, we, we, we have some kind of spiritual warfare, warfare going on all around us, um, constantly, right? But we just can't see it because we're in this realm. And I think that there are some people that, that, you know, have that, that component in their software that switches on when you go to sleep and then you just can see, like I said, what's already there, what's underneath life underneath this, this, this dimension that we're in, there's another veil. Um, yeah. So it's like, you know, if I'm looking straight ahead, I can see with my senses and this program, this software, you know, everything that it's programmed to see, you know, as I'm staring ahead of me. And then as this other software comes on at nighttime, it's, you know, there's some people that have it in their software that where they're programmed to see all of this you know, in this realm. And so I'm, you know, where you'd be looking ahead and you can access that through sleep. So it's really, it's really weird, but that's how I feel about it. I don't think that those, those things that I saw were, you know, figments of my imagination or whatever. I a hundred percent believe. I mean, I don't know. There's, there's nobody that can tell me different from, from what I saw and what I felt Um, And what I experienced, I think that those things are always there all around me. And I mean, given that I felt very unstable in myself for a large chunk of my life, and especially without, you know, having my father support and being all alone and whatever, you know, I was on a certain frequency where I was probably susceptible to, you know, having sort of demonic parasites hanging around me. Um, and so I just saw them when I would dream through the sleep paralysis. I just had to interject because I don't know, I feel like it's, uh, sort of the conclusion of a story. Um, so I'm just listening to myself as I'm editing this podcast, the the last bit of it there, and I'm listening to myself describe, you know, this, um, sort of toroidal field around these entities that I would see and how disgusting that felt. And, and I remember exactly the time that I felt this very same feeling, the only other time I have felt this feeling. And, uh, it is quite an epiphany I'm having, having right now because, um, you know, it pertains to 
um, my family, you know, a, a, a thing that I had learned that's disrupted my life, um, a very serious thing. And, uh, you know, so it's occurred to me as I'm listening and I'm going, well, maybe they're, they were just revealing themselves, the entities to me, because I was, you know, low frequency and in this vulnerable state. But really, I would like to correct that and say that I think that they were hereditary parasites that were there um, because of my my family and uh, and yeah and and that epiphany in itself is pretty uh, pretty crazy. Well, it's a perception shift, but you know, um, just seeing the pattern and the relevancy and you know why none of these things you know, tried to harm me or interact with me. They were just there, you know, like as if, as if like, um, how can I describe this? You know, how you inherit genes, you know, when, when your family goes on to have babies or whatever, right? Like <laughs> this baby has dark hair because the father had dark hair. This baby has blue eyes, blah, blah. Like parasites are that way. Hereditary parasites. They're just there because, you know, they were involved or, or clung to the host in some way before you. And so I think that's what it was. Listening to myself uh, talking about this. So, wow. Like, yeah. How wild is that? I don't, I don't know. I, <laughs> I just think these kind of connections are really cool in terms of learning, you know, so I felt it was unjust to not share this. So that's my take on it. That's what I believe. <laughs> um, all right. I should probably wrap this up because I don't even know how long it's been, but I just had so much I wanted to get out of my brain. I was thinking about so much during this time since my last podcast. So I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you were able to connect with some of it. And, um, and yeah, as always, thank you for listening.